this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. My name is Brandon. That's right, familiar voices are back. Nick and Dan joining me. The vacation is over, the nightmares are real, and here we are for an Arsenal <laughs> match review. My apologies for coming the back. The nightmare this is nonsense. real. Brandon's back. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. We missed you, buddy, you know? Damn, Dan. <laughs> I can only imagine what Matt Law had to say about me in my absence, but uh, I'll get caught up with all that good stuff this week. But gentlemen, it is the Arsenal match review that we're going to be talking about, specifically how the Gunners suffocated our blues and, and how we have to maybe adjust our expectations a little bit. I don't think you're going to get the the um, hypercritical breakdown of this one, Nick. It's going to be a little bit more, uh, like you said, a, a expectation setting, big picture looking at because I think it was all quite obvious where it went wrong, which is pretty much everywhere, a lot of injuries. But it, if everyone is coming here looking for like the the big man rants, might not be the pod. No. I mean, you guys have, a lot of you have been around for a long time listening to us after these sorts of results. And while there is going to be passion, I will ensure that, uh, I, I don't think this is going to be the let's burn it all to the ground podcast. If you want one of those, there, there are a thousand other podcasts out there. I'm sure that are, are doing that stick today. I think we're we're going to be more solutions oriented here, Dan, and, and try and look ahead a little bit. Oh, no, no. It's going to be hot takes that Just have nothing but sat hot on the takes. counter for a little bit. And now they're, they're kind of lukewarm. So that's <laughs> what we're going to serve up for you today. Well, kick us off with the three word match reviews. Let us know how the people are feeling. Yeah, we got close to 600 responses, which is the <laughs> most in a three-word match review history, I think, just subjectively. World record. Yeah, it was. Uh, anyway, Southeast Blues with the stink, stank, stunk. Yeah, Jason with the injury FC stumbles. RJ with the gunner take time. The classic 86K with the far from favorable. Tyler with the midweek leggy letdown. Grizz with the why wake up, which I dem definitely empathize with waking up at uh, three-ish for lineups and four-ish for kickoff um travis with the simply second best and then snacks with the dour disjointed display yeah i uh i don't know how i actually woke up to my alarm at 4 55 mountain standard time today after being up until like 1 1 30 post wedding uh but airpods and a comfortable bed were not even enough to get me through that <laughs> that ungodly time i like had so much time i went back to bed for like two and a half hours until we had to get up to leave like i got a taste of mountain pacific time and it's terrible i, I uh, no huge, huge shout outs to you people who do it yeah uh, especially these like it's it's always the um the daylight savings time early match even though you get the extra hour it's still early uh you guys are you guys are real heroes all right uh anyways nick go ahead and hit us with your three ma three word match review limping lackluster loss not much more to say i want the wing backs are missing uh definitely a very crucial part of the team dan too much chaos too much so too, too many trophies too coming? far to the other side. Well, hopefully that is the return to all of that. But at the moment right now, we are over indexed on the chaos quotient. Do, do you remember when we made that shirt this summer as kind of a joke? And we were like, right surely, here. surely the chaos is over now. Uh, Tuchel forever. <laughs> boy, boy, did we get that one right? One about we five so trophies. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, um. Uh, 
Well, no, no Patreon shoutouts this week. Uh, hope to have some uh, before the international break for a World Cup. Uh, but Dan, we did have more Apple Podcast reviews, thankfully. Yeah, wonderful five star view from Blue Note Junior. And look on Spotify, uh, over one thousand six hundred, so one point six k reviews, four point nine there. So we're on the quest for two thousand. We want to get up to ESPN FC's level, and uh, then we can officially tweet at Craig Burley. Uh, hey, fuck you. <laughs> uh, well, that'll be a, a good tweet. Uh, anyways, let's jump into it. It was Arsenal this past Sunday, the 6th of November in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge. And just like last season, we split the away legs. We'll see what we can do in the return one. But Chelsea nil, Arsenal won. Two years running, we've lost at home to them in the Premier League, which is not great. Uh, Gabriel getting the goal in the 63rd off of just a confusing corner. Three years in a row now. Oh, even better. I didn't want to yep. go back that far. Uh, one was enough. Yep. Um, so we're going to go ahead and kick it over to the fifth stand, the official app from Chelsea FC. If you want all the breaking lineups and stories post-match, download the official app. Thank you to them for the highlights, and we'll be right back. Look, guys, we love the fifth stand app. It's another rough game, though. So for for this, for here, we're going to skip the, the low lights. All right, let's hit the lineup, and then I'll try to uh, get into the stats and avoid any more of uh, Nick's long-term Arsenal terrible run-of-form stats. <laughs> uh, it was Edwin Mendy between the sticks. It was Trev Chalaba, Thiago Silva, Azpilicueta, and Kukurea as a back four-ish is the way the Premier League website is lining it up. It also likes to say that we had basically all midfield minus Aubameyang as the remainder of this, and it was really more of like a... Yeah, you know, four diamond type of thing that we saw in the past week here. Jorginho, Rumoth's cheek, Raheem Sterling, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, his other individuals. Uh, we saw Kovacic, Pulisic, Connor Gallagher, and Amando Broya come off the bench, and everybody else on you sub. So, top line stats here Chelsea with 44% possession. Uh, we only had five shots, and yep, only one on target. Uh, we had, oh, I'm sorry, Arsenal had 14 shots, but they only had two on target. So, you know, about about the same there. Not great for them. Uh, we had 24 tackles to their 17. We had 19 clearances. They had 22. We had four corners to their six, uh, one of which they scored off of. We had three offsides to their none, five cautions to their two, and we conceded 19 fouls to their 13. And then the XG from at Opta Analyst had Arsenal with a 2.11 XG and Chelsea with a 0.26, which... It's not good if you're keeping track at home. So uh, lastly, the one random stat from an app to Joseph's 10. Arsenal have become the first side to win 10 Premier League away games against Chelsea while they're just the second visiting side to win three in a row at Stamford Bridge after Blackburn Rovers did it in 93-94 through 95-96. Dominated. Shit burns, Nick. It All of it. All of it's bad. Yeah. I mean, look, there was a lot. I think... This is the point of the season, typically, where where narratives begin to get formed, right? About who's good, who's bad, which players are going to win the golden boot, which players are going to get transferred out in January, all this stuff. And right now, the prevailing narrative is that Arsenal is the best team in the league, despite Manchester City's obvious strength, because they have been the most consistent team in the league to this point. The whole narrative around... Arsenal dominating Chelsea today, like on paper and even through the eye test makes sense to me. Um, it was a bad performance by Chelsea. They only had two shots on target. <laughs> I mean, like I know the XG says 2.11 and they scored one goal from that. 
like, I, I don't know. I, I, I look at that through a little bit of a different lens, Dan, because, you know, t- to only have two shots on target with how bad Chelsea played in this game does not signify a world beater level performance uh, like we've seen in the past against Man City or, or anything like that. So, I, you know, I think th- the narrative is going to be what it is until someone changes it, right? And respect, you have to change it. But I don't know. I come away with those stats feeling a little bit different maybe than I would have uh, eight hours ago. Time always heals and at least allows you to benefit from context or at least a calm conscience as you reflect upon this. But if you're not going to take shots or you're not going to put yourself in a position to test the keeper and see if you can luck into the same type of goal that Arsenal lucked into today, you are not going to get anything other than a draw. Like a draw would, in my mind, have been a pretty fair result, all things considered. I actually think this was one of the... Arsenal have been good in a lot of matches. This is one of their less good matches. I think in general, both sides did not play to their maximum potential. Just Chelsea was sloppier than Arsenal were. All right, well, we'll pause right there because we're going to jump into exactly how the Gunners suffocated the Blues. Uh, before we do that, we got to take an ad break. Thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show, and we're going to be right back. All right, well, now that I am back, YouTube videos will be back. Uh, TikTok is blowing up. We really appreciate um, um, the follows and the engagement there. And then again, another reminder, Nick, to everybody, Blue Royalty is on a new feed. I think Dan said we're up to 500 reviews already. Now it's like over 50. 5,000 reviews? That's amazing. 50,000 50, might be the new number. I have to go Ooh. back and look at it afterwards. We're going to manifest all the all the positivity that we can because that team actually wins games. Uh, they beat Manchester United away today. Uh, so if you're looking for a a beacon of hope, if you will, uh, the Chelsea women's team always providing some some good news. Uh, yeah, go over to Blue Royalty Feed. Please, please, please uh, register or subscribe, I mean, for that. And uh, go rate review uh, if, if you're allowed to. Go listen to a couple of, of episodes. Uh, these Sunday matches usually get Jesse and Abdullah publishing that on the on the Monday, whereas some of the Saturday ones I'm I'm gonna be kind of co-host for. So uh, get over there and help us out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and essentially relive a little bit of the nightmare that we all had today. Uh, no oxygen for the Blues. Is is Dan uh, keeps the the thread going. Uh, we have the pass map here from the Glockbot, uh, and obviously Dimitri who puts that together. Um, the good news: this looks like a formation. The bad news is we're playing in our own half. Uh, nine of the players, essentially eight of the players, are all in our half, and like our back line is far too close to our own box. Usually we're used to seeing players, essentially our defenders up around the midfield line, our attackers well into the other team's box, and that shifted. And I don't know if it's an energy thing, Dan. You know, Potter said he played a strong team midweek because he wanted to honor the competition and the opponents, and he wanted to build momentum for the first team players ahead of this big match. He didn't want like the levels to drop. Well, here's what we got. And, you know, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier with you guys saying that, you know, they, they still didn't really do anything. Uh, it, the eye test was not positive or friendly to for Chelsea fans watching that today. Hey, threw it to me to talk about the eye test. I feel like Nick Verlaney is seething right now. Yeah. On the other end what the, the hell? Ball. What's happening? 
I know you bet. I know you're out of practice, but give me a fucking break here. I just this is going to be probably one of the last chances Dan and I have. So I just figured I'm giving you I'm giving you a chance, Dan. Take it or we're out. (laughs) Look, it was. It was not good. It was not good football and it lacked a sharpness. It definitely didn't feel good until really the point where Kovacic came in. Um, that was kind of a nice little addition. Obviously, the Broya and Gallagher coming in, bringing off uh, Aubameyang, who just wasn't really getting into to good spaces or good places to really take on anything. I, it was a very incomplete performance. I mean, I think depending upon if there's a certain narrative that you have, you could point to any one player outside of... Silva and I would say Chalaba probably is the two I would say that had a had a better game than most because none of them had a great game. Those would be the one the two that I would have a hard time with anybody giving them a particular stick. But Mason didn't have a great game. Kai didn't have a great game. Sterling didn't have a great game. Like there was a lot of fives, fours, maybe some sixes, but it was a below average level of performance from this team. Nick, and I think some of it comes down to the midweek piece in terms of potentially having too many minutes on their legs. I think some of it comes down to how we set up to play. And I think some of it is situational down to the fact that the best players, you know, if this if you just drop Reese James in this 11, completely different game. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, like this is it's it's why, like even looking at the McLaughbot stat box thing down here, uh, each keeper made one save today. I mean, I know it feels like they pelted our goal 35 shots, 18 on target, you know, because they dominated possession. They made passing look so easy, which we are not used to seeing because under Tuchel, we controlled possession, right? We played the high line. We press forward. And this is a different system that Potter is running largely, I think, out of necessity. He's having to run out the same players a lot. You can argue midweek you didn't have to do this, but... I mean, for this one, yeah, you're going to pretty much play this group, right? Um, so I, I think it felt way worse than it looked. And, like, let me just say this off the top. No one hates losing these fuckers more than I do. I fucking hate Arsenal. They are my number one team that I loathe. They are pious, pompous pricks, okay? How was that for some alliteration? I, I hate these guys. You look at that performance today, and we didn't do anything to deserve to win the game we didn't really play the passing was slow we've continually been pressed into oblivion this year forced to go long uh and this was no different i mean if you look at some of you know brandon's passing patterns on the on the screen on the mclaughbot which we will i think retweet if we haven't already there's almost no link between Jorginho and and ruben loftus cheek or then i guess kovacic as well and there's certainly barely a link forward to a to a center forward role, um, either Broya or Aubameyang, who had famously had eight touches in this game. I mean, this is just not a way to play football. I think why why most people are upset, eye test wise, is because we didn't even come out swinging. We started slow. We put on our heels, and that was it. And and they base we basically let them dictate the the play of the game. We let them dictate passing patterns. We were reacting to everything instead of punching back. And 
I, you know, I understand why Twitter collectively lost its fucking mind today. I just think there are so many goddamn factors that roll into this that it's impossible for me to just point to one thing and go, that's the reason we lost. I mean, it is, it's a multi-layered cake of bullshit. So, yeah, I was kind of looking at some of these as well, uh, again, and, and to your point, like, Mount had to tuck all the way in, so essentially we lost our threat on the left side, yep. um, you know, it, it, and so just kind of the way it flowed and it's back forward. But as we said, we were just going to kind of look at a high-level thing, and Ishan likes to put out, like, combined starting 11s, right? And I think, you know, going into these, we're always really bullish on, on the Chelsea players, and rightly so. I... <sighs> I mean, they pretty much outplayed us like man to man. You know, when the old trope is you got to beat the the guy across the line from you, obviously a football reference, you know, you got to find your number on the other team and you got to you got to essentially beat them one to one. It didn't happen. I mean, the best thing that happened to us today was that Zinchenko was rusty and gave the ball away a couple of times like he was our best threat. Uh, I think Martinelli was sharp. Saka was sharp. Even though Aspie did well, uh, especially when he ended up getting his his bullshit yellow later in the game. Uh, Jesus looked good today. Um, their midfield were just pinging passes. They broke our press like that. Our press was inconsistent and disconnected at all times. Um, and it comes back to our midfield was an unmitigated disaster yet again. And my only thing that I want to say on this, at least where we're at from here, is that what happens is that Jorginho will have a good game, right? Ruben will have a good game or two. When is the last time both our midfielders had a good game? Like, systemically, we are over-reliant on our midfielders pulling something out of their ass because there's no cohesion, there's no unit in there, and we're just expecting them to kind of, like, figure it out on their own. And today was, like, the most wildly obvious display of destruction of why it doesn't work. Hey, Nick, why is this team not playing up to standards? Obvious. We have not done the job. We, not this podcast, although we we would have done this job with the funding, of figuring out how to replace an aging midfield. They're all banged up. We've been saying this for weeks. Kovacic can't play two games in a row. And if he does, you're risking him for serious injury because his knee's fucked up. Jorginho, not a multi-game-a-week player right now. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, playing way more than we ever would have thought, right? But is still getting used to this role because he was a right wing-back largely last year. And and then N'Golo Conte, non-factor. Played for 120 minutes of football at the beginning of the year. That was it. So I, th- this midfield... If it gets the proper care in the transfer window, and I'm not even suggesting that will happen in January, but if it gets the proper care or we get some of our defenders back and start playing Trev in midfield, for example, like I know uh, the Tinkerman podcast is recommended and maybe some of our journalist friends have hinted at, like then maybe we have a different conversation. But it's very clear that Zakaria is not going to be a part of these plans. So that's goal scorer Zakaria did to you. <laughs> no, you're, you are correct. But I mean, it's the bane of our existence, right? Because all the midfield does is allow you to do everything else that you want to do. <laughs> like it allows Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling and Aubameyang to run more freely and stand or get higher up the pitch and do their thing. It allows your defense to maybe take the first, you know, their fucking foot off the panic button for 
two seconds and not have Tiago Silva running eight miles a game to recover every broken play in midfield. Like it is until that is fixed, Dan, I don't think there's a hell of a lot to talk about when these performances happen because every other Premier League midfielder worth their salt is going to be licking their chops going up against what is a tired and injured Chelsea midfield right now. Well, you have Raheem Sterling, who's played the most minutes for Chelsea this season in all competitions, 13-20. It's Thiago Silva next, which is probably not the second name that you Super. wanted on that list at 12-86. It's Mason at 12-72. If you're looking at players that we would argue have to be in the starting 11 for Chelsea to be in a position to not necessarily win, but to be competitive, Kovacic has played... 891 of those minutes. So if you say 1320 is a high benchmark. So he's played less than a third of the matches. You do a little bit lower down the line. You go Reese James also played about a third less of the matches than our top individual. And it, this, this is kind of scary stuff. I mean, Angola Conte has played, you know, 174 minutes this season. Oh, it's so close. I, I just guesstimated. Or, yeah. Um, just over ten oh, percent. So in general, like these are not signs that you have a the requisite depth to be competitive. Particularly when these are players you would have singled out in the last one two seasons as some of the best contributors you have in this team. And so now, I I don't know if Potter has set himself up to be successful, but I also have to concede that his success is hampered by players not being available. And that is partially on him, partially not on him. And there's, I don't know, it's a mess. It is a mess at the moment. So for me, again, like I, I put our wing backs, you know, kind of in that midfield role because, you know, I, we, I think we usually call it like a 3-4-3, three, three, right? Or, you know, however you want to split it, 3-4-2-1, 3-4-1-2. Like our wing backs are always, they've always been this, this strategic um, advantage. We can always create overloads on one side with the wingbacks. Uh, they've been so good. That's why the last two managers that have played wingbacks are happy to put attackers back in the wingback role because really you, you need to do a lot of attacking. The most common pass threads today was Thiago Silva to, to Kai Havertz, and that was the diagonal left to right. And the next one was Aspi to Raheem, just straight up the line. Like, it, A, Aspi to Raheem is the most obvious pass in the world right? Straight down the line. Um, and then, you know, we saw Tiago Silva almost successfully was just kind of pinging long balls for Kai, right? And you're we trying to use Kai's height as a disadvantage, you know, win the first ball, flick on, whatever it was. And again, the fact that like those were our two essentially like only progressive pass options that we had from this entire team, it, I mean, it's terrible. And I know, you know, a lot of people are trying to trot out the Aubameyang only had like seven touches, in 60 minutes or whatever it was eight he got come on he, fair in that important detail he got no service i mean are we, are we really putting that on him the midfield is so important because it protects the back line it gets the ball off the back line like when you have a midfield and it, it's Hold all on, about Brandon. transition i have a huge question for you do you even know what a midfield is yeah hmm? that was in my twitter mentions today <laughs> um but, like, they're the engine of the team where you go from defense to offense, offense to, to defense. And our midfield were absolute bystanders defensively today. They got passed by all the time. They ended up leaving 
our center backs in, in tough positions. Um, Kukure was trying his hardest to get up and create overloads. But again, you're in a back four. There's not that extra center back. So the gaps that were created were just bad. And he had a tough day with Saka. You know, credit to him, especially, um, you know, he actually drew Saka in on a yellow. But uh, the midfield, which to me is just like where it all, all falls apart. And like the defense in isolation wasn't very good. The offense in isolation has been terrible for weeks, but I just, I look at these games. I know Tweed sees it the same way. And I think Yaz is, is getting on it as well. You know, just to say, it's not just me. Like this midfield is like so, so underwhelming. I think that if we can recruit like the way you said, Nick, and we get this stud midfielder, the way Arsenal have Odegaar and, um, I mean, for fuck's sake, Jacques is in there, but even Partey who can break up play and immediately pass. I think we're all going to look back and be like, oh shit, we were way behind the midfield depth. Like we're holding on to Jorginho, we're holding on to Kovacic, we're holding on to Ruben, but like we need a proper like couple of midfielders in there. Kovacic is that guy and Golo Conte is that guy. Jorginho can be that guy, but they can't do it consistently anymore. And that's the problem. Like Thomas Partey, who I don't understand how we're not having a different conversation about him, by the way, is playing every match. And he's a destroyer and he's breaking up play and he's distributing the ball pretty well. And he's not doing anything special, but he's helping to control the game. I mean, think back to the last time Chelsea were really competitive in the Premier League. I think we all know when that was. That was 2016-17. We had the best midfield in the league. Do you think that was a fucking coincidence? You think N'Golo Conte and Cesc Fabregas were just out there hanging out? Matic was out there too? Like... You think that was a coincidence that that was the last time that we were competitive in the Premier League? We have a phenomenal, at times, cup one-off midfield. We we know that because we've won the Champions League recently, something that Arsenal have never done. Uh, but consistently over 38 games, is it a miracle that City have won the last 18 leagues being facetious there? No, they have the best midfield. So they're going to win because that that's just what it is. It's like having the best offensive and defensive lines in the NFL. If you control the line of scrimmage, you're more likely to win than your opponent. And unless you can do that consistently over 38 games, you're not going to be competitive. And right now we're, we're mid table. We're seventh could slip, right? Like these are scary times. And yeah, like, all you know, all these four new heads of recruitment, Dan, better be <laughs> better be on the same page about this now because you know, good lord, it's. I was thinking about this earlier today. Just like the best teams in the leagues, uh, the, the best teams that have won leagues, best midfields done. Boom. I, my yeah, only argument would be break. Liverpool because Liverpool have had a pretty bang average midfield, but all they had to do was punt it long to in life in form of his life, Mohamed Salah and Mane, and it worked. Fair enough. All right. I concede one point to you. Go ahead, Dan. That was it. I think that in general, we just, there's going to be a lot of work to do because this is a multi-window process. And I think the, I don't know, I don't know, Brandon does not understand what the word project means, so I'll kind of clarify it for him here in this moment. Another Twitter mention gone sideways. (laughs) Is that. This is not something that will be rectified by promoting one person out of our youth academy, by signing one individual player. This is multiple years 
of not appropriately addressing the problem coming back to bite you in the ass and expecting it to magically change is setting yourself up for a real bad time. A really bad time watching Chelsea. If you think that we can just go out, roll up, go to Newcastle, say, hey, we want to sign uh, Bruno Gamerich and we're going to pay you $50 million, and we're going to go to West Ham, we're going to sign Declan Rice, we're going to sign Jude Bellingham. It, it's not that easy. Like This is a really Herculean undertaking that Todd Bowley and company, Graham Potter and company have undertaken. And we're all kind of in the in the shit of it together. And we can either say, you know what, we want Chelsea to be successful again, and we're going to have to accept that there is steps to progress. Now we need to see what that progress is. Mm-hmm. We need to see elements of that project process happen. And I think that's the point of frustration right now, is that you look out over the last few matches, and even with some of the elements impacting that, and the progress doesn't seem clear right now. And that is why, from my view, we see a fan base today that feels a little disappointed about where we're at in the moment. A little disappointed. Well, I mean, very disappointed. Get woof today. Good Lord. Like as a, as a breacher of lines in the past on Twitter, today was tough on that platform. It, Yes, and and I was barely on it, hilariously. Um, so that's the other thing we want to talk about is maybe adjusting our expectations. Uh, Adam Newson teed it up very well today, uh, defining Chelsea's quote-unquote standards. Um, he he <laughs> very awarely tweeted, <laughs> probably a question I'll regret asking on this platform, especially after a defeat, but if you've used the term standards in a debate slash tiresome argument about Chelsea, what do you actually mean? And this is probably like a good like exercise for a lot of Chelsea fans uh, to think about. You know, Chelsea right now, we have massive injury problems. And maybe we don't realize that we do, but I, I was looking at a roster real quick. Keppa, who for all intents and purposes was our number one goalkeeper this season, is is now injured what through the world cup like not not a week like weeks um mendy is is coming back he was very his distribution was very yo-yo as expected like the the short passes he was being asked to make <laughs> nope uh silva's hanging on chillwell out with a long-term injury james a long-term injury kulabali just coming back from injury uh Kukure was sick fafana long-term injury Conte long-term injury. Kovacic nursing a calf. Um, Knee, I think. Sure. Something. Uh, then you've got... Yeah, that's pretty much it. So it's it's mainly... De- obviously, defense is ravaged. Midfield, our, our best <laughs> player in there is is out. And then... Good, good thing you don't need either defense or midfield then. <laughs> and then now you're starting goalkeeper, who is probably better for a Potterball system than Mendy, is out. So, like, all the momentum we had was with Keppa, with Reese, with even a little bit of Fafana, was definitely with Chilwell. All that momentum is just sucked out of the 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 I guess the whatever you want to use your analogy, whatever. I'm I'm I was gonna say airplane, but I'm like, no, Room, that's a little balloon. dark. Anyways. Um spacecraft cockpit. So I don't know where you want to go with that specifically, Dan, but like I said, I mean like we're we're banged up beating the shit out of an arsenal or flying high they've literally never been better in 10 years and the funny thing is they still really barely created like serious goal scoring opportunities like chelsea 
did a good job with like a, a limp B team to to take on the league leaders. The where I want to take this is that I thought it'd be helpful for us to define the standards ourselves or what we're hoping to see in the near term from Chelsea. Keep in mind that we have two more matches on the men's side between now and a World Cup break. And that World Cup break then extends us in. And you effectively will have played a third of the Premier League season with two-thirds remaining when you come back. Nick checked me on the math there. It was really helpful. In general, there is so much left in this season to create some momentum, to build back. If you get multiple players of the list that Brandon mentioned back fit, healthy after the World Cup, because again... The World Cup could be the ultimate chaos wrench into every team's plans. Every one of these top six teams are sending players. They all could come back with completely ravaged sides. And Chelsea might be able to capitalize in a way that others might not be able to. And so I just wanted to frame it that way and that the the standard element in my mind is that Chelsea need to be competitive in every match. I think they need to come out ready to play and attempt to win because in general, if you're one of the top five to 10 best teams, or you view yourself as that teams in Europe, you should be going out to win games, not to get a draw. And this game, I think what probably set people off is that this felt like it was set up to get a draw in the hopes of a win, not to set up to win the game. And if you get a draw, you know, you're upset, but you're not kind of, you know, scream at the top of your lungs there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think I saw criticism uh, across the board today <laughs> on the old Twitter machine. And that ranged from Potter being out of his depth, Aspi not being a good enough captain, uh, Bowley uh, not knowing what the fuck he's doing. Uh, there being leadership issues, there being individual player issues, there the, the standards question was uh was far reaching which i think is is why adam kind of teed up his his uh little prompt here uh I, I will i will say this this world cup is going to fuck up everybody like there there's not a chance <laughs> like put your put your marco money on it right now uh mark Worrell, who is an expert better this is like not the easiest prediction in the world Someone in the top seven is going to have a major player injured or delayed uh, a restart because of the World Cup. Who knows what will happen? Maybe it will be Martinelli with Brazil or Jesus with Brazil. Maybe it will be Xhaka with Switzerland. Maybe it will be anybody on Arsenal's team that makes them kind of lose ground. Maybe it'll be Holland just training in, in for whatever during this during this period. Maybe it'll be... Gumarish or whoever from Newcastle. I, I I don't know, but it's going to fuck up everything. So let's just make that a statement. Like coming back, it's a whole new season. There's, there's two thirds of it left to play a lot to play for. But I, I would say this, like I didn't love Potter's approach to this game. I think he was handcuffed a little bit and I think people are just big mad anyway, right now. Cause the last few weeks of performances haven't been good. He certainly needs to use this World Cup period to get acclimated and to build a game plan that can work best for the talent that he has because there's no guarantee we're bringing in players in January. So that would be a thing. I look at all these players, and there are a bunch of people putting the Tuchel quote up from this summer 
about the problems are the same because the players are the same. I mean, it change managers and you're still seeing some of those same performances, right? Like I, I would look at the players who are maybe underperforming right now. Like I think those standards do have to raise. And while I think Aspie has been an exceptional captain, if for whatever reason, Graham Potter decides he needs a different voice in there. Okay. Aspie has served the club incredibly well. I don't think that's going to happen by the way. But if that's a standard that has to be raised, fine. I think that's a ludicrous thing to say personally, but I'll take it where I can get it right now. And then I do think the last standard is is what bully and team have to set, which is we're going to be competitive in everything. We're going to give you resources to be competitive in everything. The rest is up to you. <laughs> the rest is up to your individual and, and collective brilliance to pull through. And in that way, I don't really think that's a hell of a lot different than it has been over the last 30 years, right? I, I, I'm, I'm struggling here because it's, I don't think there's like a massive culture shift that's going to happen that's going to make Chelsea a competitive Premier League team again. I would say we changed all players except goalkeepers and midfielders. I mean, Zakaria came in, deadline, day loan. I wouldn't say he changed the team. But we brought in Raheem Sterling and Aubameyang up top. We brought in Fofana. We brought in Kukurea. We brought in Koulibaly. Like, we added a lot to this team. And unfortunately, uh, the defenders, at least with, you know, Reese James and Chilwell and these injuries, have have really flatlined a lot of things. I think what a lot of people are, are confused or upset about is kind of like maybe how Potter's approaching things. He kind of hedged his bets a little bit, maybe, Dan, with that pre-match quote saying... I'm going to make a fool of myself in the pursuit of pro, like long-term progress. I think is like the gist of his quote, right? He's like, look, it's going to look dumb for a while. And I wondered if that happened because we kept playing our damn outside backs almost into nothing. And I wonder if that was just the progression he wants to do over and over. And they're going to build off of that. But like today, it was like dead end after dead end. So again, Front, I, I bring that up in the set of like expectations. A lot of smart people out there look like he has the most secure job in the Premier League with the way everything's gone, but he's not acting like he's acting like he's desperate for his next win to save his job. I, I'm trying to like balance Potter's quote with the, the people that I tend to think are smart on Twitter as well. Wouldn't you want to also win though to build belief within the team, within the organization that like you're on? the right path together. I don't necessarily know if it's coaching for the job as much as it is to build that successive win. Cause wins tend to breed more wins and success tends to breed more success. And so if you can start to stack some of that on one another, you effectively create a winning culture or winning identity that I think Adam had a really great point in this series of tweets is that Chelsea have not been a side that, is truly elite and competing for a domestic title and in the Champions League season in, season out since 2015. And I think today there was a lot of revisionism on Tuchel and because of the yeah. recent success, because of his success in cup competitions. But it was not looking good when he was here at the beginning of this part of this season too and at the very tail end of last season. And so I do agree that like that – run of the, up into the Champions League will be one of the most special memories of like supporting Chelsea in the modern era. 
but the path forward is not to go back and say, Hey, Tuchel, we made a mistake. Like we're going to try to bring you back into this. Cause like that's, it, it's, it's broken. It's gone. It's not, we're not moving forward with that. Uh, and I think David branch uh, on Twitter brought this up that, you know, since, since last year when Chelsea were first for that like brief moment, I think October or whatever before all the the whole thing kind of came November, crashing down you there. Yeah, <laughs> when when things were so hopeful, you know, um, that I think we've accrued like fifty. And this was from that point until Tuchel was canned. I think we accrued fifty one points while other members of the top six were in the sixties, seventies, and even eighties. So it, it wasn't sunshine and rainbows, guys. Like. Again, I think to the point earlier when we were talking about like what it's going to take for Chelsea to, you know, if that is your definition of standard, that Chelsea is competing every single year for the Premier League title, that we're competing every single year for the Champions League title, FA Cup, League Cup, all this stuff, that we're we're just not a squad capable of, of that right now. And, and I mean, clearly, we're, we're really off the pace. We're 13 points behind Arsenal right now. 13 points behind a team that finished seventh last year. It's disgusting to hear out loud. I mean, like, uh, what? just be honest about it. And, like, I, I also agree with with what you said, Dan. I think people are less, are, are taking their anger out on Potter because he's now in the chair. But I think they're probably more mad, if I'm reading into this correctly, at the last six years of poor buying decisions and team construction that has led to the moment where we're playing a Jorginho, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you know, with a Kovacic sub midfield against the top team in the league. I mean, there, there's a lot of revisionist history happening. I just don't think it's aimed in the exact right direction. All right. Well, let's go ahead and kind of move off this one. Obviously, Dan, no Dan of the match. Um, it was everyone who woke up early to watch the game. You're the day of the match. Didn't even feel like it. So anyways, we're going to take our last ad break. When we get back, we're going to look around the league at what else happened, and hopefully we can laugh at someone else. So we'll be right back. All right, so around the league, uh, if we look at the Saturday results, Saturday was a banger of a day, by the way. Uh, I was in Denver hanging out with my Liverpool friend and Arsenal friend, and uh, he did a, a three-way uh, round-robin bet, and he picked... City to win, Forest and Brentford to tie, and Brighton to win. And wow, none of those happened. Well, I think Brighton ended up getting the third goal with like 10, 15 minutes left. But like City was stoppage time, <laughs> the pen. And then uh, I forgot, I think it was Nottingham Forest. They had that crazy end of the match scramble that the ball just crossed the line as they cleared it. So that was fun. He won $200 off that wild bet. Uh, but the Saturday games, they were fun. Leeds four, Bournemouth three, Man City two, Fulham one, uh, Forest two, Brentford two, Wolves two, Brighton three, Everton nil, Leicester two. Um, I, like I said, it that surprised me. You thought City was going to smash Fulham, didn't happen. Leeds with a crazy comeback against Bournemouth. It was just, it was up and down for everybody. Diego Costa obviously missing from his red card retrospectively, but like Wolves getting up and then another red card. So they've had two games in a row with red cards. There was pens. It just had everything, Nick. Uh, yeah, I mean, you really feel for Fulham out of that. I mean, that penalty was reviewed and still given. Harsh. I mean, he's American, Anthony. What? 
what are we fucking doing there? I mean, good lord. I, I hey, for, whatever. For I, the sake of the league, we can't have Arsenal running away with it, Nick. <laughs> I, I know, but I mean, give me a fucking break. I mean, that, that was nuts. I will say, uh, if you caught any of the Villa Manchester United game today, uh, which I did, lift the spirits. Uh, I it made it a good evening. A good evening to all, um, indeed, and. And I I know we joke about that uh, with, with uh, Unai Emery, but he did a really good job at Villarreal. Like people, I think, underrate the job that he did over there. Uh, and he's not the guy that was at Arsenal when they had that like post Wenger syndrome. And this is a, a good manager that they picked up. And I am uh, I'm I'm intrigued to see how that Villa team kind of responds because they. They have a lot more talent than they've shown this year, and like they just battered United all game. It was Ronaldo was pathetic. It was hilarious. They, uh, I think, we're seeing that Stevie G's man management was bad because the players are willing to fight. <laughs> they will get organized. He just he's missing a trick somewhere along there. I think he's leaning on his name a little bit too much instead of actually earning his stripes. Um, the other results were Newcastle four, Southampton one. It sounds like that will get. Uh, Southampton's manager, the sack, most likely, if not already. Crystal Palace, two, surprisingly, over West Ham, one. And then Liverpool, two, Spurs, one. Mohamed Salah decided to turn up and uh, put the pressure on Conte. He's already demanding Spurs spend massive amounts of money in January. Uh, can I? We all just need to root for West Ham to be in the relegation area um, for obvious transfer-related reasons. That's all I'm going to say. Good man. Always thinking five steps ahead. Well, it's chess, not checkers, Dan. There you go. As the shitty table stands, Arsenal continue their lead in first. Uh, they are on 34 points. City on 32 points. Newcastle United are in third place on 27 points. They have played 14, while the most of us have only played 13. Uh, Tottenham, they are slipping. They are in fourth on 26 points. United fifth on 23 points. Brighton sixth and 21 points and we are seventh tied on 21 points but our goal difference is one we are a plus one goal difference team to brighton's plus five united if you though want to poke look at someone else and laugh they are in fifth with a negative one goal difference so yeah and i would just say like we were all laughing at liverpool not too long ago they're two points behind us on a plus nine uh, we obviously play each other in that in that match that was rescheduled from from the Queen's funeral. Uh, so that's that's a really big game uh, as it stands right now. And I want to uh, play the just, old Liverpool from back then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can we time machine? Can we go back? Um, yes. So I mean, I, I you know, it's going to be hard. I mean, I, I I would anticipate Brighton fall off. I I don't think United will will be all that you know competitive throughout the the rest of it, but. Newcastle are looking the part right now, um, even if it's a, a overperformance. So uh, Chelsea have a, a significant amount of work to do coming out of the break. And I think my last thing that I'd say about this is like looking ahead to the World Cup. I mean, if you're not playing in the World Cup, I, I my hope for you is that you're the fittest you've ever been going into Boxing Day for Chelsea. So... Not that I'm rooting for anyone to stay home. I want them all to go. Uh, but for those who do stay, Kukurea looking at you, uh, maybe Loftus-Cheek or Zakaria or any of these people, like, just get 
extraordinarily fit. All right. Well, uh, our next match is obviously City in the League Cup. Uh, first round for us in the League Cup. And then it is Newcastle at the weekend. So, like, again, no breaks, no favors, nothing given. Like, we're going to have to show up and turn on and do a quick one. Uh, but there will be more content, obviously, from us this week. We're going to react to the Champions League draw. Uh, we'll obviously have the Manchester City review. Uh, Blue Royalty will be on both feeds. And then um, we're actually going to be hanging out this weekend in Kansas City. So a lot what? of fun surprises will be coming out of that. But we will be live together in KC at the weekend for the Newcastle match in case, you know, there's Chelsea people around. In person? Vibes came up again? With this crazy idea. Yeah. Well, the oh. weather's bullshit, so you need to work on that, Nick. You've got a week. So anyways, more and more <laughs> yeah. content coming at you. Glad to be back. Uh, we're going to be locked in. Uh, coming at you, I said we got two more matches yet this week, so uh, Champions League draw as well. So, anyways, uh, don't let it ruin your week. Uh, we got to turn around. Only a couple days till the next match day. Come thick and fast. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.